Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here today. So last week we began reading the story of Abram, beginning in Genesis chapter 12. We saw that God graciously called a seemingly unremarkable man and his seemingly unremarkable family to play an integral part in his plan to redeem humanity and the world from our fall into sin. And Abram responded to God's call with faith. However, that does not mean that Abram was perfect. Almost immediately, we see cracks in his armor. We quickly learn that this man of great faith is also capable of great foolishness. But through it all, God's promise to Abram remains. As a reminder, that promise is seen in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. God says to Abram, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This morning, we continue that story in Genesis 15 through 17. And as we read, a few questions will begin to emerge. First, can God actually fulfill this promise? After all, there are some significant obstacles standing in the way. Second, will Abram and Sarah trust God or will they try to handle things themselves? And third, what sign might God give Abram and his offspring to confirm their bond? These questions are incredibly important to Abram's relationship with God. But they're also highly relevant to our relationship with God. So open your Bibles to Genesis 15, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Uh, thank you that we have another Sunday that we can look forward to, uh, another Sunday that we can be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. Because as we said, we need those reminders. Uh, thank you that while for many of us, uh, this is just kind of a standard Sunday, uh, that's not the case for all of us. Uh, it's great to have the Logans here. It's great to see Sherry be baptized. And I pray that this Sunday would be special for them and special for us as well. Thank you for this story that we get to read in your word. Uh, I pray that you would give us Attentive eyes and open ears to hear what you did a long time ago through someone like Abram and why it matters to believers like us in a totally different time and a totally different place. Thank you that so many of the promises given to Abram find their fulfillment in Christ. And even though we might not know Abram if we passed him on the street, in some very real ways we can trace ourselves back to Abram. And that we are the beneficiaries of the promise that you've given him. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. 
We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram saying, God, what gives? Why haven't you done what you said you would do? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? As we said when we began last week, God speaks. But this is the first time in this story that we see Abram speak back. And to be honest, Abram has some fair, legitimate concerns. First, Abram may be concerned for his safety. Back in chapter 14, we saw Abram get pulled into a war when he had to swoop in and save his nephew Lot. And the respective kings involved in that war may not have been very pleased with Abram's meddling. And the ancient world was a brutal place. Perhaps Abram feared reprisal or retaliation. And God can't fulfill his promise to Abram if Abram is dead. So God reminds Abram of his protection. God calls himself Abram's shield. But then Abram's next concern is maybe the most pressing. It's his lack of offspring. After all, one of the key components of God's promise back in chapter 12 is descendants. But Sarah's still barren. There's still no baby. And Abram is not getting any younger. He is understandably frustrated and even doubtful. He fears that he might never have a son to be his heir. So what does God do? Well, he once again reaffirms his promise. Abram's offspring will be like the stars in the sky. And then finally, Abram is concerned about land. How am I to possess it? That land was also a massive part of God's promise, but the Canaanites still live there. The land is already occupied. And surely those people are not going to just hand their territory over to Abram without a fight. But once again, God insists that he will keep his word. He even draws boundaries 
and names names in verses 18 through 20. So once again, God speaks. God reaffirms his promise. But then God takes an even more drastic step. He makes a binding oath. He establishes a covenant in verses 9 through 17. Now, that covenant is established through animal sacrifice. And that was a violent, solemn, and bloody event. They would cut up these animals, and the two parties in the covenant would walk among these bloody, dismembered animals. It was gruesome, but it was also memorable. And that's part of the point. With this ritual, God even more officially commits himself to Abram. God commits himself to his promise. Of course, that doesn't mean that everything will go smoothly. Abram's descendants would spend generations in slavery, and Abram himself won't live to see it all fulfilled. But the point still stands that God has made a covenant. When God passes through those dead animals, it's almost as though God is saying, may I end up like these animals if I don't keep my word. And in a very important detail, only God performs that part of the ritual. God walks among the animals in this vision, but Abram doesn't. That tells us that this covenant is one-sided. And we'll see in a moment why that's so important. So then, back to question one. Can God actually fulfill his promise, even with all the obstacles standing in the way? Well, yes. God will, beyond the shadow of a doubt, make this happen. Abram will be safe. He will have an heir and his offspring will inherit the land. And if Abram has further concerns, he should remember that ceremony. He should remember that vision of God walking among the sacrificial blood. He should remember the covenant that God willingly entered into. So how does Abram respond to all of this? Well, once again, Abram believes God. Chapter 15, verse 6 is very important. That Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We'll come back to that. But do you believe that God can and will fulfill his promises to you? Do you trust that God will keep his word even when the obstacles seem insurmountable? Because you have promises too. God tells us that he is with us. Psalm 139 says we couldn't escape from God's presence even if we tried. In Matthew 28, Jesus himself says that he is with us to the ends of the age. Do you believe that God is with you? even when it feels as though he is absent. 
God tells us throughout the New Testament that Christ is sufficient for our salvation. That our sins are forgiven through his body and his blood. And that's enough. Do you believe that? Even when it seems like your sin is suffocating. God tells us about his righteous character on just about every page of this book. But do we believe that God really is as great and as good as he says he is in a day, age, and world where he is mocked, questioned, and criticized? God can and will fulfill his promises. He will keep his word. And like Abram, we must believe. Though as we see in chapter 16, that's easier said than done. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. That's exactly what it sounds like. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. That's Sarah. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and Hagar fled from her. In case we forgot, this part of the story reminds us that God is working with damaged goods. After the high note of chapter 15, God's commitment to Abram and Abram's faithful response, we see one of the several low notes in Abram's story. Now, in Sarah's defense, her suggestion would not have sounded all that strange in the ancient world. And in Abram's defense, it was Sarah's idea, not his. But in the end, both Abram and Sarah deserve blame for this ill-advised plan. Both failed to trust God, even after God made a covenant. They got tired of waiting for God to keep his word. It had been ten years since God first spoke. So they hatched their own brilliant idea. They took matters into their own hands. They would produce their own heir. Now, thankfully, as God already showed back in chapter 12, he is more than able to compensate for sinful people's failure. God finds the pregnant ostracized foreign Hagar out in the desert and makes a promise to her too. Sure, Hagar's child Ishmael won't be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram, but 
he would still become a great nation in his own right. And later in chapter 21, when Abram and Sarah once again treat Hagar and her son harshly, God sees them and God looks after them. So back to question two. Will Abram and Sarah trust God? Well, yes and no. Abram really is a man of great faith. Genesis 12:4 and Genesis 15:6 make that much clear. When God told him to go, he went. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But we're reminded yet again that even faithful people can and will fall short. So in light of that, think back to that covenant back in chapter 15. Thank God that it was one-sided. Because if the promise depended upon Abram and Sarah holding up their end of things, then they would be in big trouble. And when you think about it, how often do we find ourselves in similar situations? God's promises, commands, and designs are firmly established. They're well known to us. And yet we're tempted to come up with our own ideas. We're tempted to chart a different course. We're tempted to try and figure things out our way. We've been doing it since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And even after we repent, believe, and follow Christ, we're regularly tempted to hear God's words, say we trust him, but then engineer our own alternatives. That's especially the case when God's ideas don't seem to be working or are taking entirely too long to come to fruition, at least in our opinion. Now, can God work despite our failures? Of course. Again, thank God that our salvation is accomplished by his power, not ours. Nevertheless, may we heed Abram and Sarah's cautionary tale. And with the Holy Spirit's help, actually trust God in both word and deed. And now our final big passage of the morning, Genesis 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and you may multiply greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, 
all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Well, Abram is 99 years old now. 99. It's been almost a quarter century since God first spoke back in chapter 12. And after all this time, the ups and the downs, the moments of faith and doubt, God insists that his promise of chapter 12 and his covenant of chapter 15 are still valid. And while that promise and that covenant are one-sided, God will make it happen despite Abram. That doesn't mean there are no expectations for him. Namely, Abram is to walk blamelessly before God. But more specifically, God gives Abram this sign that the promise and the covenant stand. He gives him a command to obey, which confirms their validity, which is the practice of circumcision. Now, circumcision was common in the ancient world. However, Abraham's descendants would do things a little bit differently. Many nations performed it when a boy was transitioning to adulthood. Abram's family would do it at birth. Many nations practiced it for some men, such as priests, but not for all men. Meanwhile, Abraham's family would circumcise every baby boy. And many nations treated circumcision as an earned right of initiation. Abram's family would treat it as a given sign of membership in the community. A gift before the boy could do anything. Now, this all may sound bizarre to our modern ears, but circumcision was a tangible sign of identity. It could function as a sign to the person who received it, a sign to the people around them, and in a way, even a sign to God. So then back to our third and final question. What's the tangible sign that confirms God's bond with Abram and Abram's bond with God? It's this practice of circumcision. As we've seen repeatedly, Abraham has a way of forgetting God's words. But now Abraham and his descendants, at least in theory, can't forget. Every time Abraham is tempted to doubt 
question or stray, he should remember the sign that God gave him. The one literally cut into his flesh. The same is true of his descendants. They are God's people. God is their God, and God will keep his word to them. And you know, Christians like us, we understand a thing or two about forgetting God's promises. We know what it's like to forget who we belong to. So we also need tangible reminders, signs, and practices to help us remember what's important. As we discover in the New Testament, external fleshly circumcision is no longer the required sign of membership in God's family. Faith in Christ, a sort of internal spiritual circumcision of the heart, is what marks those who belong to God. But Christians do still have tangible signs which remind us of God's promises and remind us that we belong to him. We have the Holy Spirit within us and the fruit he produces. We have the simple practice of communion, eating bread and drinking juice. And we have the sign that we had the privilege of witnessing today, dipping someone in the waters of baptism. When we're tempted to doubt, question, or stray, we can remember the signs that God has given us. We can remember who we are as bearers of the Spirit. We can remember that we have been purchased with Christ's body and blood when we drink that juice and eat that bread. And we can remember that we have been baptized. We have been washed, buried into Christ, and raised to new life. So these chapters raise some important questions. Can God fulfill his promise? Yes, even in the face of obstacles. Will Abram and Sarah believe? Yes and no. So thank God for his grace. And what tangible sign does God give to confirm his word? Back then, he gives that practice of circumcision. He gives us his spirit. He gives us communion. He gives us baptism. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul cites Genesis 15, verse 6. That verse we said was important, that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But then Paul adds in Romans 4, verse 23, but the words that was counted to him were not written for Abram's sake alone, But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. God didn't just fulfill his promise to Abraham about safety, offspring and land. He would later fulfill his promise to redeem sinful humanity and our fallen world through Christ. Abram wasn't perfect, but he was justified, declared righteous by faith. And the same will be true of all who believe in Christ. And God didn't just give the sign of circumcision a long time ago. 
He's given better signs to believers in Christ. Believers like us. And while we're at it, think about another time that God subjected himself to a violent, solemn, bloody, and thoroughly one-sided sacrifice. When he gave himself at the cross of Christ. These promises to Abraham preview the ultimate promise to bless all the nations of the world. Nations like the United States of America. Nations like Japan and people like us. These promises started with Abram. And they may sound bizarre and distant and removed and irrelevant to modern people like us. But these promises are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And thank God for that good news. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read this story to Abram and see so many great little lessons in there, but also recognize that this story, in a way, points us to Christ. So, Lord, remind us that your promises to Abram, while important on their own, ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus. And that's why people like us read this story. That's why people like us read these chapters, because we see how they point us ahead to Jesus and how really we are the beneficiaries of these promises. Lord, thank you that you can and you do and you will keep your word, even when it seems hard for us to see how you're going to do it or when you're going to do it. Thank you that Even though we can be shaky and rocky and unstable in our faith, that your covenant is one-sided, that you work with us, even in the midst of our sin, and that one day you will ultimately heal us from our sin and deliver us from it when Christ returns. And Lord, thank you that you give us signs that we might know who we are and that we might know who you are. We tend to forget things, but Lord, I pray that you would help us remember. Every time we take communion, help us remember what you've done for us. When we see someone else get baptized, may we think back to our own baptism and remember that you have cleansed us, that you have forgiven us, that you have adopted us, that you've raised us to new life. And Lord, help us bear the fruit of your spirit so that others might see visible evidence that we belong to you, that people would see our good works and glorify you. And Lord, help us be a blessing to the nations the way Abram and his family have been a blessing to us. Help us show the world how your promises are fulfilled in Christ. We love you, we thank you, we worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.